Now, we're in the midst of a series of sermons on the seven deadly sins. Now, in Protestant circles, that doesn't, that doesn't mean much. But in the history of the teaching of the church, it means a lot. And I don't remember when I learned any more that I had never studied before than preparing for these. Remember, the first week was pride. And what was the virtue? The opposite of pride was humility. The second week, it was greed, and the, the virtue was what? Charity. A little stronger on the answers this morning. <laughs> the third week was lust, and the opposite was what? That was good. Good answer over here. I heard that one. And today is envy, and the virtue is what? Gratitude. Now, the reason why we do the virtues along with the seven deadly sins, because all of the church taught that if you're just a typical, normal human being, by the way, you know what the Bible says about typical, normal human beings? There's a way that seems right to people, but the end leads to death. <laughs> Whatever God thinks about us, maybe we, we could use a compass because we, we lose our way. Remember, right? The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray and we kind of lost our compass in life, so we need to humble ourselves, look to God. But the seven deadly sins, the church said, are a part of all of our lives. If you've been seeing yourself in the wrong list in some of these, you're not abnormal, you're normal. Because it's part of the, the condition of humanity to be on the wrong side of these issues. Therefore, we need the grace of God. Why do we need the grace of God? Because the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And actually, the Greek word means, there's, there's a supplied word, we're being saved. It's active, present, active, indicative. It keeps happening, and it's happening, and there's repetition, means God is saving us every day. He is. He's bringing his salvation to us every day. He said, wait a minute, I thought it once happened. Yes, it had a beginning, but because he's eternal, it's like a ray on a mathematic spectrum. There's a dot, but it goes to infinity. It knows no boundaries. God's love is so awesome that he is working in saving you gloriously every day of your life. That's good news, isn't it? Well, I feel like David Letterman. I've got some research on the word envy. You ready for it? I know you're saying, depends on what you're ready to read, Ron. By the way, go ahead and text the people and tell them you're going to be late for dinner. No, I'm, I'm teasing. The definition of envy is the feeling you have, according to the Collins English Dictionary, envy is the feeling you have when you wish you could have the same thing or quality that someone else has. Yeah. When we're not content that we're the ones that are in the driver's seat with God and he's given us a good life, but instead, we want the life of someone else. You know the adage, the grass is always greener 
on the other side of the fence. Yeah, but you, you might have to mow and rake that one. You just don't see the other side of the fence clearly like you see your own life. <laughs> now, I also looked up the definition in the Bible dictionary. It's so funny. I mean, it's, it's so funny because theologians write it and the, the language, well, I'll just give it to you. The difference between the language of the Collins English and the Bible dictionary. Envy manifests the insidiousness of sin and human depravity apart from the intervention of God's redeeming grace as a sin of the flesh. Envy characterizes the life of the unregenerate. Envy is one of the traits of the Christian's former way of life. Meaning in the Bible dic dictionary, you shouldn't be in envy. But the church has taught that people have a fallen condition. And when the flesh is at work in you, and you have the decision, will I live by the flesh or by the spirit? We remember in the flesh, it is impossible, according to the book of Romans, in the flesh, it is impossible to please God. Envy is not pleasing to God. Now listen to the Cambridge English Dictionary. The dictionary defines envy as a feeling of covetousness. Isn't that interesting that, that when it comes from Britain, they're talking about covetousness? The Bible says not to covet, right? But it's a feeling of covetousness with regard to another's advantages, successes, and possessions. How come, Lord, they get the good deal and I don't? I don't know why Joe Schmo buys a lottery ticket and can win a billion dollars when I'm not even trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'd take just being parallel to the Waltons. I couldn't say that in the last service because they don't know who the Waltons are. <laughs> Man, I'm getting old. Right? We're not worrying about keeping up with somebody else. But then all of a sudden, somebody out of the middle of nowhere wins a billion dollars. Am I envious of him? Do you know this is really a true story? I mean, I would like to be one of the ones who had to put it to test. But they say that those who win millions in the lottery, it's one of the saddest stories of the outcome of them all of a sudden getting a giant inheritance. I would like to believe it. When I hear it, I, I say, yeah, that's, that's very unfortunate. But, you know, I'd kind of like to, like to see if I could beat the odds. You know what I mean? Envy. Envy. Now, I want to give one last definition. It's the difference between envy and jealousy because they're very closely related. Envy is when you want what someone else has. But jealousy is when you're worried someone's trying to take what you have. For example, if you want your neighbor's new convertible, you feel envy. If she takes your husband for a ride, you feel jealousy. You get it? Envy. Envy is part of the fallen life. So what's part of the risen life? What's part of the good news instead of the bad news? And here it is. The virtue that Christ loves to give to people to get them out of their sins. The grace that becomes God's gift to us creates 
a great trade that's possible. You can lay down your envy and you pick up instead gratitude. So you ready? Here they are, three things. You can jot them down if you want, three things. Number one, accept the life that Christ has given to you and thank him and tell him you want to be obedient to all that the Lord has for you. John Wesley took this so serious. In 1760, he wrote a book called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. And in that book, he wrote a poetry paragraph that tells you how to tune your life up so that you're walking in gratitude with God. Here's the poem. Is there a thing beneath the sun that strives with thee my heart to share? Ah, tear it then and reign alone, the Lord of every motion there. Let me give you the RSV, the Ron Smith version. You ready? Anything under the sun today, Lord, that is of the flesh at work in my life? Will you take it from me because I want to be all yours and let this day be a walk in the Spirit. Every day we can do that. We can dedicate ourselves. Now I've been reading a book by Dr. Kinlaw, my mentor, and Dr. Kinlaw says, too often Christians think you got to do that every day. You know, like Paul said, I die daily and I'm, I'm for that. But Kinlaw said there can be a decision we make that's binding. You see, in 1982, I said, yes, I'm, I do and I will to Darina Ritzler. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost unthinkable. I came down the aisle. Who knows where I was going home to the night before? I lived some in Wilmore, Kentucky, some in Ashland, Kentucky, some in Millville, New Jersey. I was a youth minister in Britain, New Jersey. Where am I going to go? But you know what happens? After... The wedding ceremony in 1982 I went home wherever she was and I've been coming home to wherever she is one yes and for the rest of my life I been going home to her Kinlaw says Christians ought to make that yes Christians are the bride of Christ Christians can say, Lord, you're going to be my one, you're going to be my only, and above all else, I belong to you, and I'm thankful for it. Now, I don't get up tomorrow and say, hey, I've been 37 years with Doreen, I wonder what it's like to live in the neighbor's house. No! No! I don't even think the thought, but you know what I do think? I think I can't believe in my 37th year, there Things that I keep learning about, about Darina, they keep unfolding out of her life. And it's, uh, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. There's something beautiful about the plan of God. And you're the bride of Christ. He wants your yes. Point one, walk in that yes. Walk in that obedience. Make that commitment so you're all God's. And you'll find out that you have power to be envy. As many as received him, I'm quoting directly from the first chapter of John, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. Point two, here's what else you can do to be filled with gratitude rather than envy. You ready for point two? Go home 
and write a thank you letter or several thank you letters. Men, I'm talking to you too. Don't go home and tell your wife, hey, write a few thank you letters for me. I know how that one works. Doreen has good penmanship. They can't read if you write anyway. Do it anyway. Write a letter of appreciation or a note of appreciation or several notes to people who have made a profound difference in your life. Irene, maybe I'd have to write you one of those. You've made a profound difference in our, our life. We started in ministry there in that church, and her family was a rock in that church. Say thank you. Tell somebody you grateful for what they've done. You know what I want to say to people who aren't so grateful? Get out a piece of paper, get out a pen, and try to write the things that have made you happy in life. And you know what? You're going to have to get another paper. It's going off the one page. All of you have things for which you're very, very grateful. And then finally, recognize that God is not finished. You see, some of us feel like we've been shortchanged. And, and, and a lot of times it's about finances or things we don't have and look at what else somebody has, but he's not done with you yet. As I was with Mark Busby yesterday, and Mark's been a lifetime friend. And uh, they told him that his father's not coming out of the hospital. He said at one point with all of the family around, he said, Dad, you're going to wake up in the place of your dreams. You're going to wake up a healed man. You're going to wake up in eternity, and it doesn't get any better than that. What a word to share with your father in a time. And you know what? Those are true words. In the 21st chapter of Revelation, we read these words in that day. There will be no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, for the first things have passed away. And the one who sits on the throne said, write this down, for these words are faithful and true. I'm going to give the one who is thirsty a drink from the fountain of the water of everlasting life. You see, God isn't done yet. Your mark isn't going to be debilitated by some disease or characterized by some financial loss. Your mark isn't going to be that the defining principle about your life is the trauma or the heartache or the things that have let you down. Your mark is going to be that you might not be there yet, but God isn't finished. Listen to the promise that's for you, the people of God this morning. I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it yet entered the heart of a person the good things that God has for those who love him. You're destined for a place where not only is there not financial loss, <laughs> I can't wait to get that letter from you. If you could write through eternity to say, my driveway's paved with gold. Not a bad payday, hey? God isn't finished. And here's his promise. I will perfect 
that which concerns you. So play it forward. Be the people of kindness. Play the gratitude forward so much that somebody will see your life and your good works and through you they'll be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Number one, be obedient. Number two, get out a notepad and write some letters of gratitude. And number three, play it forward in the joy that Christ has given to you so that wherever you are, the world around you gets better because you're God's person on the spot and you believe that no matter what debilitates you, God is not finished. But when he is, just like Mark prayed, one of these days all of us are going to wake up in a place where the flesh is no longer a constraint. And do you know where we're going to live? In a mansion over the hilltop. And you know who our Father is? God. And do you know what He says? All that I own is yours. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But there's coming a day when all that your Father has will be your inheritance. This is the love He has for you in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.